It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. It's your Wednesday pod. Dougley Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, your Ohio State coverage team. One of the finest coverage teams in all the land. I'm not going to say finest. I mean, I might want to say finest, but I'm, I don't have to be that way. There are many fine coverage teams, and we are one of them. And we're going to talk about football on this Wednesday pod, because we had an interesting round of interviews with Ryan Day and several Ohio State players on Tuesday. And so we're just going to do some football talk. We're not going to have texter questions. We're not going to get into nonsense. We're going to save some of that. We're not going to get into other stuff. We're just going to talk about this football team, where they are heading into this Maryland game. And I just thought, I thought it was a good round of stuff. So it's nice when you have a good round of stuff to be able to lead your discussion Nathan, what did you get as the vibe, I think primarily from Ryan Day? Because I think it's hard to get a vibe sometimes from players about it, especially early in the week. Just about what's ahead with Maryland. Like, what? How, how real is this Maryland thing? Somebody asked Ryan Day, somebody asked Ryan Day if this was the best team they faced so far. And I don't know. It's like one of those things. It's Maryland which, dominated yeah, Penn State. But yeah, I mean, he can't answer that question, mm-hmm. but it's like, and, and I wrote about this earlier in the week. It's like, I can't tell, okay, Maryland beat Penn State. If I was ranked, I mean, you know, if you're ranking them, Penn State's 0-3, of course you'd rank Maryland Maryland ahead of Penn State. Are they actually better? I, I don't know, but like, what did you, what was your read on Ryan Day and what he actually thinks about this game? Well, and I think, especially when you're asking particular players about it, I think they're so fixated on their position or their, their job that day. Um, so, but I think Ryan day respects Maryland, but I really think it's more about the big picture and where this team is today and where it needs to be in December. That doesn't mean obviously they have to win Saturday's game in order to get where they want to be in December. But in terms of accomplishment, I think it's, it's, there's a, there's a healthy realization with this team that they're pretty good and that they still have problems that have to be fixed. And I don't think they, and I think they know after last week that um, this this idea that um, you can fix it all on Saturday, it's it's not just about going through and getting that game experience on Saturdays. I think they have to be better at fixing some of these problems as they lead into each Saturday. Did you get a read? I thought, again, I don't like to get bogged down in what players say because players just won't can't be honest a lot of the time, or they just they they haven't dug into the film. 
But I did think Sean Wade and Nathan, I know you're going to write some quarterback stuff, other big 10 quarterback stuff this week, Stephen, Sean Wade. I thought the way he talked about Talia Tonga made it sound like he actually did think he was good, that there was some actual respect there. That wasn't like cliched. We respect everybody kind of respect. It was kind of like, Oh yeah, this dude's kind of good. He said something like, Oh, he's kind of short, but he's good. I got that vibe a little bit from Sean. Yeah, I, 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 there's not a lot of good quarterbacks in the Big Ten, as we all know, and so. But I I, Sean, well, I, well, well, I mean, I mean, I, well. In the past. Uh, in the, okay, that's in the past. There we go. In yeah, in the past. Yeah, but as Nathan will be writing later this week, I think there's been an uptick in play, and it starts with guys like Talia. I'm not going to try to say his last name, but what is is it Talia or Talia? Uh, we don't know. We should be better at pronunciation. It's Tonga Vailoa. So that I think we can say, okay. I, I, th- I think it's okay to call him Tua's brother for shorthand. For That's the- what they were calling him, yeah. Tua's little brother has shown some, that there, there's, some, there's some talent there. Obviously what Graham Merch was doing at Wisconsin before he got injured. But I think Sean Witten sees the uptick in talent. And it starts really this week with Maryland, even if necessarily the talent around him isn't equated at all at least a quarterback play is good enough that this is going to be a challenge especially for this secondary we could call him to a petite frere actually all week <laughs> he is to his little brother yeah i mean that's like factual to a petite frere that's much i mean that's that's much easier all right so we have nicholas petite frere and we have to a petite frere nathan you're writing the story did you get that vibe i thought sean was real like, cause sometimes again, I, you can tell when a guy means what he's saying and when he's just saying like, Oh, we respect every opponent. I thought Sean, I thought that made me think, yeah, to a petite frere might, might have a little something to him. And, and it's honestly, it's a question where when you ask it, you know, that there's like a maybe better than 50% chance that the guy's going to say, Oh, I think there's good quarterbacks in the big 10 all the time. Um, and, and there's always guys we have to worry about, but he was like, no, like it's getting better. And this is one example of that, that I, he saw him, I think he called him a, a dog about, you know, a guy who, which to me is, is a, is always a term of respect, a guy who is maybe who, who fights and who gets the most out of him, his potential. And, and we're still so early in what to a talk. Seriously, don't do it. <laughs> to Why bother? To be fair, the Dolphins are also early in getting out of what they can give to us. So. I don't want to anybody who hops around this podcast and doesn't listen to it from the beginning. I don't want to confuse them when I start talking about Nicholas Petit Frere playing quarterback for Maryland on Saturday. Um, but talk about Loa. I think that they, they he's still it's still so early for him too. He had a really bad game against Northwestern start of the year. The whole team did. He's been better the last two weeks. I think they probably see on film that the, things are maybe still a bit raw for him, but that he's getting. Um, he's getting a lot out of what he can do right now. So I do think there is some of that respect. And I think they also see it in Michael Penix coming. They talked about it last year with Michael Penix and just didn't get to play him because of his injury. And I think they're, they're starting to realize that this is another example of the way that big 10 East teams are kind of raising their level of play. Uh, The ones that are doing that are doing it with the quarterback. I do think like, you know who I bet people like described as a dog when he was a young quarterback in the big 10 like drew Brees, you know like kind of like a little guy who's got talent but like fights and like well you know i'm not i'm not comparing uh to a petite freighter that but i'm just saying like i do think it's like he has talent he doesn't have perfect quarterback quarterback size but he's not just because he's not matt mcgloin 
I mean, no one's talking about Moxie with this guy. That bull crap. We've had enough Moxie Big Ten quarterbacks to last a lifetime. This is an, a guy with actual talent who also is like will fight for his team. So I, I think I think there is a decent amount there. I actually thought, and there's a couple things we want to get into. Sean Wade talking about his own play, which I thought was really good on Tuesday, and I want to talk about my read and what we think about Ryan day and guys on his team who maybe aren't performing up to the level that people expected. And I'm talking mostly about Marcus hooker and Trey sermon and how Ryan day will handle that. It's a Ryan day ruthlessness discussion, but I thought we did a good job right after the game going through what was real and what wasn't real about defensive panic with this Ohio state football team. And I made the point then I thought a lot of it, was Marcus Hooker related, but what vibe, you know, we got Jonathan Cooper on Tuesday. We got Sean Wade on Tuesday. What kind of vibe, Steven, did you get generally about where this Ohio state defense feels like where, like where it feels it is right now? Do you think this Ohio state defense thinks it's underperforming or do you think they believe like, no, like we're, we're good, man. Don't worry about us. We got it. I think they think they're playing well, but they have these small issues that seem like the biggest deal in the world from a fan perspective, but they're very easily fixable. Um, and the way Sean Wade broke down his issues was magnificent. We'll get into that later on in this podcast. But as we point out, the Marcus Hooker situation and what he was doing there, but those are I think fixable issues in a way that if people are thinking this is 2018, those issues weren't fixable. That's what made it worse. These seem like whether it's a technical thing or just how your approach is or your you know, technique, all that can be fixed. And you've got five games to do that. And so not perfect um, room to grow, but pretty solid, especially in the first half. I will say much like players early in the week, I am not, very far into my Maryland rewatch yet. Someone asked Jonathan Cooper this, and I actually sort of maybe thought the opposite of it. And I didn't ask it because it's one of those things, again, you can, you can sort of spin a question and get the answer you want from, from a nice guy. And it's not the point. You want the truth. You don't want to quote just to match your theory. But someone asked him, Jonathan Cooper, about, hey, you know, facing a tougher quarterback this week. But he had been making the point of, hey, you know, teams get the ball out early against Ohio State. That's what everybody does. That's nothing new. It's like the Ruck Rutgers isn't going to stand back there and try to hold on to it. Sean Clifford's just not going to stand back there forever necessarily. I mean, not, not as a plan. Maybe if a guy's covered, now you get a covered sack. But part of me wonders, because Jonathan Cooper was saying, hey, we've been getting good pressure. Even though they only had one sack against Rutgers, he said, we're getting good pressure. It's just that they're getting rid of the ball. Part of me wonders if you are playing a passing offense with Maryland that actually can throw it, does it actually increase the chances of the Ohio State defensive line getting to the quarterback more? Because Rutgers isn't even going to let you try. They're not going to try to throw it down the field. It's not going to work. Just get rid of it. You know, to a petit frere, might, he might want to, he's willing to maybe stand in there and make a throw. Nathan, part of me thinks while facing maybe the most talented that quarterback they have faced so far, we might actually see an increase in production and we actually might get a better look at this Ohio State pass rush because 
the quarterback they're facing is more talented. Yeah, potentially, but I think it also depends on kind of what you're saying. It depends on the other team's approach, too. If you're moving the pocket a lot, you know, there's only so much that a defensive end can do to create pressure in that situation because that's why they're moving the pocket is to get him away from those guys. Um, you know, Ohio State does that. Other teams are going to do that to Ohio State. I thought you saw Rutgers doing some of that. And all in their misdirection that they were doing before the snap, I think uh, in part is to keep those guys off balance and not be able to just have them tee off the way maybe they do against a more uh, conventional passing team. So some of it is is going to be, in terms of just actually getting a sack, some of it is directly related to the way an offense chooses to play as much as the way a defensive line gets after it. I think it, it, I, I agree with John, what Jonathan Cooper was saying, and I need to, to, to study the game more um, going back and look at Rutgers game more, but we do sometimes overemphasize sacks and underemphasize pressure. I think that was the whole point of the question. I think it was Bill Landis who asked it was that, you know, you have to look beyond just the sack numbers to see how a defensive line uh, and how a pass rush influences a game. And I think they have that sophistication. So uh, kind of to go back to the question you asked before that you and Steven were talking about, to me, it's not, I, I think it's a team that recognizes that it has to play better, but th- it's not necessarily that it's, that it is underperforming, that it's performing at the level it's performing right now. It knew it was going to have to get better over the course of the year. It knew it wasn't coming into the season, even on just the defensive side of the ball as like a finished product. I mean, if there's somebody out there who, who was saying that, this Ohio state defense was going to be a championship defense from day one. Um, They were lying to you or they don't know what they were talking about. So this was a team that was going to have to grow into being the defense that it wants to be at the end of the year. Now it's just a question is whether they think they're on that path. I think they do think they're on that path. I think it's just a matter of Saturday, especially the second half of that game being things that they can learn from that they have to learn from to take into the next game. So I want to save the Sean Wade discussion a little bit for the end, because I just thought Sean was so good uh, in talking about it. And I think it's really worth diving into. But I want to get into some Ryan Day ruthlessness right after this on Buckeye Talk. All right. So the part of what I want to address is where maybe we could see changes. And there are three in particular that I want to talk about. And My point about Ryan Day ruthlessness is this. I think Urban Meyer was always very candid in public interviews at the podium when we were in the team room with him, asking questions about a level of play on the team. He didn't really call out players particularly, but he would talk about a position group and say, this group needs to do this. No, this wasn't good enough and be very specific about that and not really shy away from that. And I think that's a service in a lot of ways. That's a service to the fans. I think he would use it sometimes as a motivational tactic for his own team. He often would talk about like big boy school, like listen, the bright lights, big city. If you don't like it, go somewhere else, but we have a high standard here and we're not afraid to hold people to that. But then I, we have talked about this before. I would say that some people thought then maybe when it it came time to, do something, maybe Urban was loyal. Maybe he would say, hey, we need to get better at this position, but then would he be willing to take a guy off the field and put somebody else in? Maybe he would be a little slow to do that. And again, you can decide whether that's good or bad. We don't want to act like loyalty is always a bad thing, but it's a balance. It's a balance that everybody strikes. And I felt like if I was describing Urban, I would say he did use the media and maybe some public criticism at times to motivate guys but he would give the guys who have been around, especially a a long leash to prove they deserve to be on the field was not a quick hook there at all. Ryan day 
I thought on Tuesday, he got asked about Trey Sermon, and he was actually asked about Trey Sermon in a way that was asking him to say nice things about Trey Sermon. And he kind of gave a very perfunctory answer and then kind of moved on. And then I asked him specifically about Marcus Hooker in a way that I said, hey, I'm not trying to call a guy out, but it felt like, you know, after the game, we were kind of saying, hey, was it second team guys? Was it first team guys? Missed tackles are an issue. It felt like to me there were these two marker Marcus Hooker situations where if he had made a tackle, he could have stopped the big play, in particular the direct snap to the running back that had the fake wild snap. What about that? And he said, yes, he needs to be an eraser on that play. The defensive ends got fooled, and he needs to be an eraser on that play. But he also moved on very quickly from that. He did not – he was not going to engage with a very long discussion about why aren't guys playing better. But now my question is, will he do something about it? And I'm very curious to see. We're three games in. It's a pandemic. It's a wild and crazy season. But, hey, they're trying to win a national championship. There are three specific areas where I am wondering if we might see some personnel shifts. And I want all of our thoughts on all three of those areas. So let's start with the one that I asked about, Marcus Hooker. I did think those two Marcus Hooker plays were really problematic. Ryan Day said he's done some good things. He's had some issues. You know, again, didn't say much. Steven, how do you think Ryan Day, and it's not just Ryan Day's decision. It's actually probably more Kerry Combs' decision. But Ryan Day's the head coach. How do you think they will handle this? Do you expect the Marcus Hooker, Josh Proctor division of snaps to be the same against Maryland on Saturday as it has been, which is Hooker clearly being the starter? Or would you expect three games in with the way he's performed, we might see some kind of shift? I think we might see a little bit of a shift. I think Hooker still is going to play more snaps just for according to 11 Warriors snap count. Hooker played 65 and Josh Proctor played 30 against Rutgers. I think that might be a little closer. I think maybe it's what 55 to 40 or something like that next week. And they start to test it out with Josh Proctor. And if Josh Proctor flashes in the next week, maybe it's equal. And then if things continue down this road where Josh Proctor is flashing and Marcus Hooker continues to have these moments where he should have been an eraser, but instead it's a 40 yard run or what, or whatnot, things might shift and Josh Proctor might get more snaps back there. Nathan, what do you think? I think that they know Josh Proctor. He's been there for three seasons. He was playing a, a decent amount last year as like the, the backup as much as anybody was behind someone like Jordan Fuller. And there's a reason why he didn't start the season. There's a reason why the snaps are still as disparate as they are. So I'm not sure I agree that he automatically is going to make a jump in snaps this week um, because I think they're obviously seeing something through the practice scenarios where they still want Marcus Hooker to get the bulk of those snaps. Now, now game snaps tell you something else, 100%. And and sometimes things are revealed through games that can't be revealed through practice. I'm just a little bit skeptical to assume that that jump is going to happen. It's not as if they were in there like swapping out series and, and Marcus Hooker was the only one that was making mistakes, you know, um, and so, I mean, so it's easy to just flip the other guy in there. I mean, they, he was getting the, the vast bulk, as, as Steven just said, of the snaps at that position. And I think that was happening for a reason. So what would you do? You would not take snaps away from Marcus Hooker? Well, I don't, I'm not there at practice every day. So I, that's what I'm saying. is it, I, I, It's more than just what we're seeing on games. It decides who gets how many snaps and how those things are distributed. That's the, other, that's the important X factor that we don't always 
have a good read on, frankly, um, be, because Ohio State's very closed about practice. And we try to get intel as we can. But I, right now, I don't have any reason to think that Josh Proctor is, is playing pr- exactly even with Marcus Hooker in, in practice because the, the way that they've used him in games would tell you that that's not the case. So this was an issue in 2018 when they were playing Isaiah Pryor and eventually they went to Brendan White. And it sort of, I think the the discussion was, hey, maybe Brendan White wasn't a great practice player, but then when you gave him the chance on the field, it was like, oh, he's better. And so now that was a different defensive coaching staff. That was Alex Grinch and Greg Schiano failing to make that move as early as they probably should have. So I'll be very curious how these guys handle it. Obviously we know what you're saying, Nathan, that we don't see practice and they didn't, you know, Marcus hooker being out. Josh Proctor was like a surprise to us. I think a surprise to a lot of people, even though maybe we thought it in the spring, I think we got an idea of it based off the end of last season. And again, based off how many snaps they played last season, Josh Proctor played a lot more than Marcus hooker. So now it's like, Oh, who's going to be the starter. Oh, it's the guy who played fewer snaps a year ago. I think they will get closer. I think I would agree with Steven. My guess would be this week they are closer to 50-50 and they got to see. Because whatever you didn't see from Josh Proctor in practice, I feel like there are moments that's like, well, we have, those are two big plays. I don't mean to harp on it, but man, that's like, that's what it's all about when you're at that position. It's about preventing those big plays. And so I would want to see, okay, well, in the exact same situation, would Josh Proctor have made the tackle on those plays or not? And I think part of the reason that Marcus Hooker won the starting job is because they thought who has the better chance to make that exact tackle in that exact situation. We think it's Marcus Hooker. And now the answer was no, he didn't make the tackle. So I would guess more like 50, 50 this week, I wouldn't be surprised if it's alternating series and then they can start to figure it out because the hard thing is it's like, well, you got to figure it out by whatever Well, it's already week four. These are actually two quarterbacks coming up who are about as good a quarterback as you're going to face until you get to the playoff. So um, they have to figure it out actually in a game that matters. But my guess is I'll agree. Yes. They start to even up those snaps as opposed to Marcus hooker, getting three quarters of them to see what the deal is. So that's my guess on that one. And then how does that maybe, how does that maybe affect, you know, that third down situation where Josh Proctor usually is, in the game, especially with Cam Brown out, does that open up a spot for? I mean, you brought up Ryan Watts today when we were talking to Ryan Day as well. Does that open up a well, spot for maybe thing. him? No, because I think on that in that situation, if you feel still like I think you have Proctor play his spot and you have Marcus mm-hmm. Hooker deep, but when you are on when it's first down and you only have a single safety in the game, it it will be Proctor more often than it has been. That you'll swap those spots. Proctor still has that nickel role. Um, kind of as a strong safety in that spot. Or you could have Proctor deep, and I, I don't think you move Marcus Hooker out. You, you could have Proctor deep. You could have Ronnie Hickman there. You could have somebody else like that there. But I think what I'm most curious about is Proctor on the field in the deep safety spot and Hooker on the sideline. Because it does feel like even your snap count that you referenced from our great friends, 11 Warriors, love the snap count. That takes into account. I mean, that's some of those Proctor snaps are in that alternate role. Mm-hmm. I'm, I would even be curious what the straight split on the single high safety snaps are when there is one deep safety in the game. I mean, it might be hooker 90% of the time. And I just think that might change to get a look. And then if Proctor looks better, then you can change it more. I, I think a split, like what I was saying would maybe be, and what you're saying would maybe be like the next step. I just don't know if I think it would 
it certainly would just flip completely. Um, no, but you got to experiment. You got to experiment. It would be, right? it'd be gradual. It wouldn't you – know, maybe three or four – it would be a split for a couple of games, and then you maybe make a decision off of that. Well, but the other thing I was going to say is I, I do think – and this might contradict what I was saying before, but I do think the leash is shorter now. Um, that if, if, yeah, you know, Hooker might start this next game, but if you start seeing the same thing again, then maybe the leash is shorter to just pull it and, and, and Proctor starts taking those single high safety snaps now. And it is, I mean, you gotta, you gotta find out. I mean, we're halfway through the regular season basically after this game. So you gotta find out. All right. I think sec- it's balanced. Cause you gotta, you gotta let guys, sorry to interrupt, but you've got to let guys, you have to let guys learn from their failure, but that's, there's a balance between what you're talking and soon to be writing about with the ruthlessness, right? Like there's, it's, it's a, it's a line you walk as a coach. Cause I think you've got a responsibility to the whole roster. So on the one hand, you've got to, you guys have to know that if I go out and I screw up, I get a chance to fix that. But other, everybody else in the field has to know that if I work my butt off this week, it's not going to be sabotaged because you're too uh, slow to make a change. Well, listen to that. We all off season, we talked about the times that Josh Proctor didn't make those plays when he was in the game against Clemson. And I don't know how that factored into Marcus Hooker winning the job, but it's like, all right, well, against Clemson, maybe Josh Proctor didn't make some of those plays. Well, now against Rutgers, now we have proof that Marcus Hooker didn't make some of those plays. So, okay, we have now proof on film of both of them failing to make plays that maybe you feel like Jordan Fuller would have made. So now what? But I think now now what is if you thought a guy had sort of won the job and the other guy kind of was his backup or was in an alternate role, I think maybe you experiment back toward a split and see what happens. I, I think it's time for that. And my guess will be they will do that. Second thing, staying in the defensive backfield. I asked Ryan Day specifically about this. And I think we talked about it after the game. I just thought Ryan Watts in limited play. Steven, you have the snap counts up. How many mm-hmm. snaps did Ryan Watts play in that game? He played 22. It was his first game. And how many did Tyreek Johnson play? 50. Okay. That's a lot of snaps for Tyreek Johnson. It didn't feel like Tyreek Johnson had a great game. Ryan Day sort of gave, again, Ryan Day is not going to divulge a lot of this stuff. I said, could young corners factor more in? Cam Brown's out. Looked like Ryan Watts showed a little something. Could that factor in more? And he kind of gave the COVID answer of like, well, everybody needs to be ready. We might need those guys, whatever. What do you think they will do? What should they do with that idea? And it's what we talked about after the game. So we know the issue. Let's talk about the solutions now. We're a couple days removed from the games. We're in the solutions territory. Cam Brown was playing that nickel spot where he was on third down, on passing downs, he was in the game in the slot. We did see Tyreek Johnson sort of outside a little bit, whatever. They were experimenting clearly in the second half with him, some to test it out. But mostly what matters is replacing Cam Brown because we know when the chips are down, you're going to have Sean Wade outside and you're going to have seven banks outside. Nathan, what would you expect? Do you think it's going to be basically all Marcus Williamson on every single snap in the slot? Do you think Tyreek Johnson might work in at all in the slot? Or do you think they will give guys like Ryan Watts or anybody else? Just do you think anything with the cornerback rotation and not in blowouts, but in snaps that matter, could it change at all either this week or in weeks to come? I would expect that gradually you will see some of these true freshmen start to get more of an opportunity. Um, because, um, and again, I don't know how fair this is, but again, there's a reason why players like Marcus Williamson didn't really play before. Part of it was because the guys ahead of them were great, but they weren't even really that much of a factor as like two deep options 
either. Uh, neither was Tyreek Johnson to, to be frank about it. So I would, I would, I think these guys have every opportunity to move up, especially with some of the, the play that we've seen here in these first three weeks, you know, Kerry Combs and some of the other coaches have, have sort of put themselves in this position. I mean, they were telling us before the season and really without prompting like, Hey, and, and maybe it was COVID, but they're saying, Hey, these freshmen are going to get a chance to play and we're preparing them and they, they, they should be able to get on the field. And, and, and that was what they were putting out there. So if these other guys aren't getting the job done, then I think that they, these, some of these young guys are going to get an opportunity. I think that's, but I think it, it's something that has to be earned. I don't think they're going to just. Well, do it for but, the it, sake. but part of it's earned and part of it's like, like disearned or whatever, right? Because if the older guys are playing great, it doesn't matter how good you are as a young guy. They don't need you. But if it's sort of like, hey, we might need a little help here, then all of a sudden it's like, well, you're a young guy. You might not be a 10 out of 10 on the ready scale, but if you're a seven, we might need you to try. Part of it is to, I think there's a world where if you if you believe in seven banks and Sean Wade on the outside, and they do, and if you believe in Marcus Williamson in the slot and you can play him a lot, still like who would be the next guy? And I just wonder, I just, I can't get the play out of my head. And listen, we're not trying to call guys out, but it is big boy school. We have to talk about the things that are happening and this team trying to win a national championship. It is a national championship standard. So everywhere on this field, players, coaches, training staff, whatever, it doesn't matter. Everywhere where it feels like it might be slightly below national championship standard, you got to talk about it. So we know these guys work hard. They are unpaid amateurs. It's not my favorite discussion, but we are here to serve our listeners and our readers first. I do think maybe it's like, okay, if Tyreek Johnson got 50 snaps in a blowout and was kind of getting, they were feeling him out. And cause he's the fourth corner. Even if you are deciding to keep Marcus Williamson on the field, there's just that throw in the end zone where Tyreek Johnson got spun in a circle and seemed to not know where, where things were happening. I just wonder if Ryan Watts can become that fourth corner and you just back away a little bit from Tyreek. And it's like, Ryan Watts, you got to be ready. If something happens with Sean or seven, you're up next. And it just is not happening with Tyreek Johnson. And I think we could see a move toward that. Maybe not this week, but in the next couple weeks, Steven. I agree with you. I think there's a job for Ryan Watts to go get. And here's why. To the point of you saying how Ryan how Ryan Day talks about some guys in the public, I think sometimes he does it in the game that's coming up. Because when it was asked, who are some guys in Tyree Johnson? That's the only name he, he named was Tyree Johnson's got to step up. Tyree Johnson has to do this. Tyree Johnson has to do that. And you know, like in the spring where sometimes you'll see upperclassmen who didn't necessarily play much kind of get their shot with the ones, even though there's maybe some five-star talent behind them, but those upperclassmen will work with the ones early in the spring. I think that's what this Rutgers game was for Tyree Johnson, especially since they didn't have a spring. This was the, we're going to give you all you can have. We're telling you right now in public, this is your chance. You have to show up here. You have to show us a reason why we should play you as a former five-star recruit. And he didn't show it. Meanwhile, Ryan Watts, even if he's inexperienced and didn't have a normal spring, he showed you some things where you, you can work with some of the the inabilities of a younger guy more than the older guy because the younger guy hasn't been around as long or as much and his ceiling is higher. So I think this was Tyree Johnson's shot and he didn't do much with it while Ryan Watts in a limited role showed you a little bit of stuff. And it's always easier to look good in a limited role. And it's always harder to look good when you get 50 snaps. So I don't think this one is instantaneous because when we were talking about Marcus Hooker and Josh Proctor, they have a pretty good feel for Josh Proctor. They were fighting for that job you have less of a feel for Ryan Watts. So you don't just want to give up on a guy and completely elevate him. But I think, I think they could head down that road a little more slowly than they'd head down 
the hooker Proctor wrote. Um, the other one is running back. And where do you think they stand with Trey Sermon at this point? I, I did. And did you guys agree? It felt like the question was really asked, like, it's one of these things. Sometimes we can just be completely honest. It's like, what's your question? Your question is, uh, working on a feature. Could you give a random quote on a player? And it's like, just <laughs> ask what you want for. It's a, uh, uh, yes. Uh, uh, Jonathan, what's your question? Say something nice about Trey Sermon. And, you know, I mean, it's just, why, <laughs> why to, beat around the bush? I used to work with a guy who would, uh, from a basketball standpoint, would like already have his game story basically written when he got back there. And his, his course question would always be like, don't you agree that like something? And then uh, the coach would be like, well, actually, I kind of see it this way. And the guy would get all huffy because then like now he doesn't have the quote to go along with the story he's already written. Yeah. So, so that's kind of what Ryan got asked. And I, I didn't think he totally went for it. Nathan, did you think, did you sort of agree with so, me that? I, a little bit, yeah, because I think I think he is still giving Trey Sermon some benefit of the doubt for coming off an injury and being in a new system and things like that. I don't know that those are completely baseless excuses, but I think also just from the way that he talked about that position here in recent weeks, I think going back to what Stephen was saying before, he's talked about Master Teague in a different way than he's talked about Trey Sermon. He's not saying that Mr. Master Teague is a Heisman Trophy candidate but he talks about his competency in a different way than he talks about Trey Sermon. he's not really making excuses for master teague in fact he's saying hey considering everything he's gone through that makes what he's doing even better so um now when you do look at the numbers trey sermon's numbers were better in the second half he did basically nothing in the first half and then was no, better in the he, second he half but had one good run that helped that out. i'm just saying well he didn't have any in the first half so <laughs> again i'm just saying <laughs> that, that run should have been a touchdown the run should have yeah. been a touchdown right. the, even the so, good run wasn't as good as it should have been yeah right. so which is which we talked about in the post game so um i i, I think that again I, you're gonna write about that but it's what ryan day says publicly i never put as much stake in that whether it's the depth chart that they put out or some of they the things put that a depth they say chart out anymore well, that's my point. It, it, it matters what they actually do on the field. That's the depth chart that they release is who plays. But they don't release any depth chart. Don't say the depth chart they release. They don't release a depth chart. You know it better than anybody. We put it up every week. Here's the. Well, I'm the one that has to do it. Yeah, but yeah, I, I know, do it but... based on. But I do it based on who they played. But OK, they play people. They don't release a depth chart. We release a depth chart based on who they play. Do you know don't... when the other team is scouting to play against Ohio State? Do you know what they don't do? They don't wait for my I depth chart to, to come out on Friday. They it's... put it together off of what they see on film. Are you defending them for not putting out a depth chart? I'm saying it doesn't matter to it the other team. It matters to the far... fans. It matters that's why to we do pe- one. I know, but that's why this, the program should do one. Unless you're Jim freaking Harbaugh and you're so secretive, it, you're exactly right. The depth chart is based on Film watching, it doesn't matter to the opposition. So it gives you no advantage to withhold a depth chart. All it does is screw the 100,000 people who show up in normal times and screw the millions of people watching on TV who would like a little information about your team. So if you're going to... Because we do one. I cannot believe you're going down this road. You find no problem with it. Oh, I think it's lame. But I'm not going to tell them to go do it because I'd rather us just do our own and uh, us be the source of getting it instead of people being able to go get it straight from the team. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. And if anybody at Ohio State's listened to this, be embarrassed. You're like Harbaugh. We Congratulations. Write it that way too. We Congratulations. write it that way too. 
Why yeah, do I headline a- that thing every week? This is the depth chart that Ohio State doesn't want to put out. Right. Well, and but there, nobody's ever going to come on this podcast and act like it's no big deal. It's embarrassing, Ohio State. You are Harbaugh. And if you'd like to explain, maybe maybe Nathan has they're, me. They're like Harbaugh, but, you know? but they win. What? But Harbaugh got a raft of crap for not putting out a depth chart. This is Nathan has now made me angry enough to ask Ryan Day seven questions about why they're afraid to put out a depth chart. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. So, like, I get it. But, you know, it's not excusable because everybody else does it. So here's the th- so that the, what matters in the end, though, is what is going to happen. So predictions now predictions, both for Saturday and going forward. Steven, do you think we will see any major adjustment in the running back workload against Maryland? And do, or do you think we will start to, if we maybe don't see it this week, will we eventually start to see it? I think what you see against Maryland is the first half. It's what it's been where it's pretty much splitting, splitting series. And then in the second, they'll evaluate it at halftime. And you usually we're able to tell who's been the better running back and it's been Teague. And then in the second half, you'll see what we saw against Penn state where just master Teague got the carries and Trey Sermon watched from the sidelines. And if it's the other way, it'll be the other way. But I think that's what it'll against Maryland this week. That's what it'll be. First half. It's, pretty equal and then the second half whoever is playing better is just going to get the snaps i think that's an important distinction when they need someone in the game to control the game it's going to be master teague so when they get in the second half of game that they have to control i think that is going to be master teague but i don't know that that will necessarily have be if saturday's game may not play out that way may have nothing to bear on on who gets carries on saturday steven do you have the snap cast in front of you for both trey sermon and master teague against rutgers and through the season so far yeah um, through the season, it's 108, Master T, Trey Sermon, 92. Nebraska, it was Sermon, 30. I mean, Ser- Sermon, 28, Master T, 30. Uh, and then 44 to 37, Master T, won that one with Penn State. And then last game, 34 to 27, Master T. Okay. I think they started got to start easing more. So I, I, think, I think you're right. I mean, I think that's a good way to look at it. Start off, give them another half, another first half, and see mm-hmm. how it goes. And then uh, – but, but here's the thing I don't think – Let's say that like Trey Sermon, for whatever reason, looks better in the first half against Maryland. I don't think that means that Trey Sermon becomes the guy in the second half. No, I, I, I think that only wor- it only works if Trey Sermon continues on this path he's on right now and Teague looks competent. Then it, then it, it clearly becomes Teague. Anything other than that, they just probably just keep it split for the rest of the game. I think if, if Sermon looks good, it continues to be a split. If he doesn't, you start to lean towards master Teague, mm-hmm. but there is not a world sort of your point, Nathan, there is not a world anymore where they wind up at all with a lean towards Trey sermon at this point. Right? No, no, no. And again, as we're evaluating this and as, as fans are rather us, I would think I'll make another basketball analogy. Like people make a big deal out of the starting lineup and I'm not saying a starting lineup means nothing, but who who's on the floor for you at the end of a game that's being decided like a, a neck and neck game. That's way more important. That tells you a lot more about who is really trusted in that scenario. And I think that's what you have going on right now with Ohio state football. So uh, there's a world where Trey Sermon gets more carries than master Teague. Cause if it's 35 to three at halftime again, and then Ohio state goes out and starts the second half with a good drive, I could see why would you not maybe give some extra, snaps to Trey Sermon in that case uh, to try to get him going more. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I feel like it's, it's, it's don't just look at who's getting more carries, look at how they're getting those carries, where they're getting those carries, when they're getting those carries. And so, the overall use is because T kind of became a part of the passing game last week. 
And he wasn't really that was that wasn't really the case the first two games. Like they let Sermon be the pass catcher out of the backfield, and they started with Teague. So maybe they're already gradually heading in that direction as is. If they're there, having Master Teague do more than just carry the ball. There was one play I saw. Teague is like spread all the way out to the far to the sideline. And it's like mm-hmm. running a route just straight up the sideline, like on a on an empty backfield play. So I that I did that did jump out to me the way that they were. And, and Tony oh, no. Alford had talked about that prior to the season. What they do that all the time. I'm just saying, but 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 the point I was getting to is that we talked before the season, like is the role going to be different for these two guys? Are they looking at them differently? And Tony Alford said no, and I think that's borne out here in the way that they they use him in all different kinds of scenarios. They just go empty. They just keep their base personnel, three receivers, a tight end, and a running back, and go empty and split those guys right. wide. And then instead of having like the running back doesn't have to block a guy, he just takes his linebacker and runs down the field with him and takes him out of the play that way. So, no, I don't think – and I think that's part of it. I mean, I, I never agree with anything where you feel like, oh, you run a lot of different stuff depending on who's in the game. I mean, it, they've never – the idea of like, well, we'll throw it to Trey Sermon, but when Master Teague's in the game, we don't throw it. I just don't think that was ever realistic. So um, so the final thing here about this, and then we'll get to Sean Wade. How would you describe or what is your expectation of Ryan Day and making these decisions? Will he be a guy who gives the benefit of the doubt? Will he be a guy who gives a longer leash – Maybe in comparison to Urban or maybe just in general, will he be a guy who gives a shorter leash? Again, this is only a, a nine game. It's an eight game regular season and the Big Ten championship game. And then, you you know, you have nine games before the playoff. This is four. So it's practically halfway. And they have their only goal is the national championship. They're not going to be satisfied with anything else. And I, I don't you know, it's not about the future. It's not about coming close. It's about winning it all and you have less time to learn about your team. So maybe ruthlessness is the right word. Maybe it's not, but again, we did, we've done a lot of discussions in the past and we don't need to get into this now, but I I think we've actually probably talked about it before with Ryan day. If Ryan day was the head coach in 2018 and JT Barrett wasn't very good, um, not 2018 and 2017, if Ryan day was a head coach in 2017 and JT Barrett wasn't very good against Oklahoma, would he have gone to Dwayne Haskins when, Urban Meyer didn't even consider it, didn't even let it cross his mind, you know, that kind of thing. So I don't want to have fake decisions of the past. I want to have current actual decisions of the now. Nathan, how would you describe your expectation, just generally how Ryan Day handles decisions like these? We don't have to say, oh, yeah, he's going to make a switch in this game or whatever. But how would you explain how Ryan Day views this stuff? You know, I'm, I think one person's one person's ruthlessness is another person's practicality. And I'm trying to think over these last two years, an example where I thought Ryan Day stuck with someone he shouldn't have um, and, and, and or, or that they didn't make one of these changes just for the sake of of loyalty to a veteran or loyalty to a guy for whatever reason. I, I don't really now last year's roster was set up very well to not have to make those kinds of decisions. Right. I mean, you weren't going to give seven banks more snaps over Jeff Okuda or whatever you, that, that wasn't really an option, but I, I don't really see a lot of those situations having developed so far. So that's what I think it is an interesting question, but I, I also think that I see Ryan day, the way he talks at least about it is that it's, it's based on production. Like, are you producing or are you not? I don't know that that's necessarily ruthlessness. doesn't mean you don't care about these people as people. You know, these athletes are not commodities, but their production 
100% is a commodity. Like what they do for your team out on the field and what they do for their teammates on the field is a measurable thing. So are they doing it or not? And if they're not doing it, you got to try somebody else. I think hey, that's, that's, the, you, that's the vibe I get from him. Since you covered Urban Meyer his entire time here, would Jalen Gill have been in the rotation last year if Urban Meyer was still the head coach in the name uh, of six-man uh, rotation? It's an interesting question. Actually, that's another example of ruthlessness that they've cut, I, cut those rotations down. I think that's how Ryan Day's ruthless. That's why. But again, I don't. To me, it's not. It, it's a fine line, right? Because is it ruthless that they've just given all of the receiver targets to Chris Olave and yeah, no, no, Wilson, it's, or it's, is it just common freaking sense to give no, all the targets? It is, but, uh, ruthless is just for the sake of having uh, giving it a name. But the idea of is it is he going to make the best decision for this team, or is he going to stay loyal to a person because he's been around? And I think those small, the wide receiver rotation the last two years has been a way he's shown his ruthlessness. And quarterback's a different scenario, but I think whether it's Marcus Hooker or the Trey Sermon situation, it's another place where he can show that same type of philosophy of I'm what's for best, what's best for the team, and not necessarily what we've always done here of being loyal to a guy just because he transferred here from Oklahoma and he came to have this certain role, or I'm loyal to a guy because he's been here since 2016 and waited his turn. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, and Nathan, I, we're just making comparisons and you didn't cover the urban stuff, but that right. this was a thing that was a constant thing. And so I know what you're saying, but the point is, it's not about what you call it. It's about whether it's about what, how you make decisions about playing time. And so I, I, there are things, and I think Steven, you make a good point about like, we do have, I think that I hadn't necessarily thought of the receiver rotation in that way. And, and Nathan, while on one hand, it's like, well, duh, you play Garrett Wilson and, and Chris Olave. Why is that anything other than the smart thing to do? But I'll just tell you, I mean, you know, there have been times where it was like they were taking sometimes better players off the field to put other guys in, in a rotation. And maybe the idea was, well, we want to keep them fresh. We want to get them through a year. We want to, you know, to help develop young guys. And then it wasn't loyalty. It was it some kind of other decision about roster building or de player mm -hmm. development or whatever. But but I, I, it's interesting to think about how it maybe would be different. And I think, I think maybe, I think maybe it would be, I mean, even like the JK Dobbins, Mike Weber stuff in 2018, it's like, really, who's better. I mean, and I'll tell you, there's people on this beat who thought Mike Weber was the better running back. That was wrong. And like I say, I'm wrong all the time. I wasn't wrong on that. I got in fights with people about who's better, but they didn't just say, you know what? JK Dobbins was really good as a freshman and we are screwing him up. We're screwing him up trying this rotation. The heck with it. Sorry, Mike Weber. You're a good soldier. I'm sorry, but this is messing him up. This is not better for the team. They just kept the rotation the whole year. So well, I wonder how much of that is like a recruiting thing where it's, I mean, when you recruit so well, you almost feel like you have to play all this talent when no, you don't. You play the best of the talent because Nick Saban's been recruiting at that level too. And he, no, you don't. If you're, I don't care. You're I don't know play if you're not the best. I mean, you get into their head of the wise because it's like, I mean, I don't know. Did it get them a great? They don't have any. They didn't get any good running backs in the 2020 class yeah. by rotating two yeah. guys. I don't know. So, so this will be an interesting thing because this isn't a bad comparison. I mean, it's not perfect, but Dobbins and Weber, they kept it up the whole year. Will they keep up Sermon and Teague the whole year? Will they be like, no, this isn't it. Let's make a change. I think, I think we will learn something from that. Before we get into Sean Wade, before we take the last break, I did just want to touch on this briefly. We had Nicholas Petit-Frere on the call, on the Zoom call with reporters on Tuesday. Again, Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit-Frere are grading through the roof. 
The two tackles were champions this week. The three interior linemen were not. We talked about it after the game. Harry Miller had the holding calls. Josh Myers, I think, did not play very well. Wyatt Davis had a big penalty. I'm just intrigued by it. They're not going to do anything about it. But I, it's something to watch, Nathan, for Saturday of like, hey, like the interior of the line, like let's see if they can play sort of as well as the tackles have played because the tackles have been off the charts. I want to see someone, and I wish it was me, but I don't think my brain is to this level yet. But when you have, when you have someone like Harry Miller, who is so new and young and is the one who would probably be the most quickly and easily exposed out of those five, I would argue. Then how does attacking him, if you're an opponent, an opponent attacking him, how much does that residually spill over into Myers and Davis? I'm not saying that they have played as well as they could play, but I wonder if that's a little bit of what's happened here a little bit. That Josh Myers last year didn't have to account very much for the guy next to him uh, having issues because it was an All-American and a guy who went in the fourth round of the NFL draft. Harry Miller's not at that level yet. So I think that that is, I think it's one of those kind of weak link in the chain kind of arguments. I, I, someone else who can is a, a offensive line grading mastermind can probably see that better than I can. But I would imagine that some of that is happening here over these first three games. Yeah, if I remember correctly, I think after the second holding penalty, Harry Miller got Josh Myers for like the next two or three snaps was just always double teaming with Harry to kind of, I, I, maybe that was just how they schemed that that block up, but it just seemed like he was just hand in hand with Harry a lot for the next couple of snaps after that. But I also just think some of this is just interior linemen love to run block and tackles are decent pass blockers. And this is an offense that's based on the pass right now, just like it was in 2018. And last year it was on the run. And that's why the interior blocking was so good. They got the run block all the time. It's not necessarily the case this year. They, they still run the ball a lot. They, yeah, they run it, but it's not, there is a difference. I, I, I think, I think in games that matter, Justin's going to throw it 30, 35 times a game, and they'll probably run it 15 to 20, maybe. I don't know. It's, 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 it's a little different, I think. All right. I, I did enjoy getting to talk to Nicholas Petit Frere again. We've already written about him because Nathan wrote a big story about him last week. But, you know, this is a guy, he worked hard for two years, and he's reaping the benefits of that hard work and he's playing at a really high level and it was enjoyable to get him uh, uh, with us and let him talk about that. So, all right, another quick break. We'll come back and wrap this up with what Sean Wade had to say on Tuesday. I think you'll want to hear us discuss this. Thanks for listening to Buckeye Talk. Back on Buckeye Talk, Doug Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird. Try the text at 614-350-3315. The expectation at the moment I think for all of us is that we will have another live zoom call with texters on Thursday night, previewing the Friday, uh, the Saturday game for our Friday picks preview. We took a week off last week because it was Rutgers. I think we'll get back to it this week for Maryland. So if you're a tech subscriber and you want to participate in that, we'll send out a link for that later in the week. We do want to talk about some COVID stuff. I think on the big Thursday pod, Alabama LSU got postponed. The sec is, the SEC is a mess right now. Wisconsin is trying to come back. They, they seem like they're on track to play Michigan this week. I mean, Wisconsin, if they have another postponed game and the rest of the league doesn't have postponed games, then Wisconsin can't play in the Big Ten Championship. So they have no more room for error there. Uh, it's, it's not a great situation, but we'll, we'll save that for another pod. Drop a review. We got another good review uh, recently. We appreciate that. So drop a review on Apple Podcasts. We certainly enjoy those. And 
make sure you guys are reading cleveland.com slash OSU. Nathan, do you have a story, something, Nathan, that's up now or that might be up later in the week or that people should be on alert for in terms of coming to cleveland.com slash OSU to read our coverage? So I'm working on something for Thursday, which is kind of the day we like to land something um, a little heavier. And it's going to be just looking at the changeover that's happening in the Big Ten East as far as quarterback play, or really the whole Big Ten, but especially obviously Maryland and Indiana kind of making a move in the East. How much of that is tied into quarterback play and what that means for Ohio State, which is obviously already doing what it, 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 it wants to do as far as stacking up quarterback talent. So they're a little bit in front of it, but that, that disparity was only going to grow maybe if some of these teams were, aren't uh, making the moves that they are. So um, it's going to be, you know, it's, it's heavily going to talk about Tagovailoa and, and Michael Penix, but um, just in general, what, what's happening right now with the Big Ten sort of shifting from a quarterback standpoint. And Stephen, what's something that you either have on the site right now or that you're working on that people can come read at cleveland.com slash OSU? Yeah, from a recruiting aspect, I talked to Ohio State's latest commitment, Benji Gosnell, uh, out of North Carolina, 2022 guy, tied in their second tight end, so they're good there. Um, and he talked about basically watching Jerry, Jeremy Ruckert against Penn State basically validated his decision to come here because – they want him to be the replacement for Jeremy Rucker when Rucker eventually leaves, whether that's after this year, after next season. Um, but watching his development into a full tight end, not just a pass catcher, but a guy who can block. I mean, they used him in the backfield as a fullback against Rutgers. They spread him out wide, used him as a decoy to get Jamison Williams his first touchdown of the season. And all the different ways that Kevin Wilson has developed tight ends in the past, he saw all of that come together in that Penn State game and in this past weekend as well. And it was all he needed to see to let him know that, yeah, this is exactly where I want to be because they're going to develop me fully. So go check that out. That's on up on cleveland.com right now. And I will just tell people that I asked our tech subscribers for the next suggestion for a nonsense bracket to vote on now that the chain restaurant bracket is over. And I, I do love this. I love it. We send out like a football thing. It's like, hey, what do you think of a football thing? Although post-game, we asked for post-game questions for the pod right when a game is ending we get like 250 during the week if you ask for football questions sometimes you get 50 or 90 responses 121 responses to what's the nonsense bracket that we should do next so i have not had a chance to go through those i will go through those we will talk about them on the thursday pod what might be next and then once i gather them i'll probably send it back out to the tech subscribers and have them actually vote on here are the six candidates for the next nonsense bracket. Which one do you actually want to do? But let's talk about Sean Wade. I specifically, I often I find myself as an old man in the course of interviews when when an interview starts trending a certain direction. Sometimes I want to try to like grab the interview when it's my turn to ask a question and try to steer it back a certain way if I feel like the direction is driving us off a cliff. Sometimes if, if, it's, if it's a bunch of puffy, dingling stuff, then I want to come in with something hard. And sometimes when I feel like, man, we are getting kind of negative on a good player right now, let's steer back to the middle of the road before we make him so mad he just shuts down. And I was a little worried about that with Sean Wade because this is a guy who has first-round NFL talent he is absolutely the most established player on this defense. And when we got him on Tuesday, everybody was asking him, why aren't you playing better? And I thought he was great. I tried to say like, hey, Sean, you know, we just like talking to a high level player as you break down film on yourself. You know, we're not in the room with you. Can you help us break it down? 
But I thought it was really interesting, Stephen. And I thought we found out some things from Sean about what he thinks he can do better, what has been in his head as maybe he hasn't made some plays that he wanted to make. And I came away from it thinking to myself, yeah, I bet you this guy's going to start making a few more of these plays that maybe he hasn't made to his own satisfaction through the first three games. Yeah, I took from it one as far as how he handled it. I think he handled it like a guy whose father is Randy Wade and retweets everything that somebody says about Sean Wade, whether it's negative or positive. Um, but I think he understands that, yes, I was a preseason All-American. I have first-round talent, yada, yada, yada. But this is still my first year playing outside corner at college football level. And there are some things I'm still learning and finding out, whether it was him breaking down how the difference between covering a guy in the slot and the different routes they run and, and covering a guy outside where maybe it takes a little longer for the ball to get there because it's a longer throw. And so maybe my timing is off to, you know, finding the balance of when to go for a pick and when to just get the pass break up, um, which I think he detailed beautifully, beautifully, especially when we, when you asked him about the tight end catch in the end zone against Rutgers. Um, He also just kind of chalked it up to, listen, I understand that I'm the number one corner on this team. And sometimes guys are going to make big plays on me and I just have to move on to the next one and have a short-term memory about it, which was what happened against Penn state. He broke this down in a way of understanding he's still learning even though he's the best cornerback on this team. It made a lot of sense to me the way he explained it. Cause when you're in the slot, you're like on more quick hitter stuff. Maybe you're trying to undercut a route and get your hand in there. But when you're outside, you are up in the air playing a ball in the air a lot on a deep ball. Just, I mean, you wind up jumping with the receiver a lot. And like, I'm thinking, yeah, I bet in the slot, you just don't do that very much. And honestly, when you think about, the plays that Sean has not made this year, it's kind of like being there and just jumping wrong. And when he explained it, it was like, yeah, like Nathan, I just thought he took us through it in a way that like, wasn't making an excuse, but was just explaining what's happening. That really cleared things up for me. Well, I thought he, he gave some good perspective as far as, I mean, we've talked about how it was probably going to still be as good as he is an adjustment to move from the slot to the outside that there's at least subtle, if not, not subtle differences between those two positions that he was going to have to make some adjustments to. And he talked about that as far as it's the, the way you're looking at the field, the way you're looking at the, the a play develop from the snap. It is, as you're saying, the time that the ball is in the air is so different than when you're playing the slot, you're not really following deep routes downfield in, in that situation. It's a lot of times you're right on a guy's hip and you're making a play at, at the, at the point of attack as the throw is coming. So I, I think it is still just an adjustment for him. He's, he's also made some plays this year that are like, legitimately highlight worthy plays kind of like, you know, big time plays, some, some breakups and stuff like that. So I think it's just part of the, well, I'll I'll reference this. When I did a story, I did one of our uh, no excuses stories before the season on Sean Wade and Randy sent me a text and we live in a, a time when parents cannot wait to put, to just tell you how good their kids are. And they'll, they'll bring all this supposed evidence about it. On YouTube right now, there's a t- video titled Trust the Process, colon, Sean Wade, not so highlights versus IMG 2014. <laughs> That's the background he comes from. He comes from a guy who, and, and Randy Wade believes in Sean Wade's talent, but Randy Wade uh, believes uh, in telling Sean Wade when he doesn't do the right thing and that he needs to get better. And that's an example of that. And I think that's what he's going through right now. I, I don't really have long-term fears that Sean Wade is going to cost this team wins by not playing good cornerback. 
I think it's, also, but I do think, but I do think he has to get better. And I think he thinks that too. He also pointed out that if you honestly think about it, seven ways, seven, well, seven ways, seven banks is the most experienced outside corner on this team because I mean, he's never played inside. And so one of the things John Way talked about is you don't get to tackle as much, which is what he was doing a lot of times on the inside. And so he doesn't get to be as physical. Um, some, maybe he, he doesn't really get as much action as he was getting as a slot corner. And so the roles are just totally different. So he's had to make some adjustments. Sean starred as a slot corner last year, partially because he did great slot corner things. It wasn't just being a good cornerback in general. He was really good at the things that you ask a slot cornerback to do last year. And I feel like everything that you would say in your head, oh, this play with Sean Wade or this played with Sean Wade, it really is explained just like by the angle of the game changing for him. I feel like there'd been a, a couple times on a tackle where he was a little hesitant maybe on making a tackle. And it's like, well, he's not usually out on the edge making a tackle like that. He's making a tackle more in the box. He was talking about being in the box more when you're mm-hmm. a slot corner and you're kind of in there. And Sean Wade's never been afraid to tackle on the run or to get in there and lower his shoulder on a blitz and be physical. But I feel like there's been a, a time or two where he's been a little hesitant after the catch on like trying to tackle this guy where a safety is now coming to help on the tackle. But it's just really, if you think, well, he's never really been out in space this way, trying to do that. And really to me, the two big plays that come up, I mean, it's three, I guess, two with Dotson, the two big back-to-back Dotson catches against Penn state and the tight end in the end zone with Rutgers and all of them, Sean Wade was there. But in particular, on the one-handed Dotson catch, Sean was in the air, but was kind of like falling away. And maybe he got a little bit of a half pass interference, offensive pass interference push and helped push him away. But as the play was being made, he was kind of falling out of the play. And against the Rutgers tight end, he went up for the ball. And he said this when I asked him on Tuesday, he said, I kind of jumped backwards that you can see him sort of falling away from the play. And it almost looks like he is jumping as if he is trying to make the catch. Like he's the receiver, like he's getting ready to intercept the ball. And it's almost like the actual receiver like cuts in front of him and makes the catch as opposed to him going up and challenging the receiver and fighting for the ball and not trying to get his body in position for a pick, but trying to get his body in position. So the other guy can't catch it. And it's just a very interesting explanation. And again, that's what it, it, his explanation fits your eyeballs. Yeah. That's what it looks like. And he knows it and Kerry Combs knows it. And now he's going to get better at it. So I just thought it was a, this is what, when interviews go well, you know, it's not really, a lot of times you think it's an interview. You're trying to get a good quote. I mean, you're not really trying to get a good quote. You're trying to get information. And so like we got information from Sean Wade, he helped us. And now we can help our listeners and our readers. And if you go watch any Sean Wade highlight or play this year, you can say, Oh yeah, that's what he's talking about. So we'll write about that. We hope this explanation helped a little bit. But shout out to Sean Wade for like not getting defensive, not going into a shell. I don't think he loved it. I don't, I don't know that he loved it, but he hung in with it and he was honest about it. He didn't beat around the bush. He didn't try to, he just sort of said what was up and it was a really good player letting us have a little window into kind of what's going on with him right now. And and I certainly expect that what he explained is going to, we're going to see it on the field soon enough. Well, I thought the way that you jumped in on that question was important too, though, because I think you're right that it was sort of trending in this like vague, like, are you playing well situation way? And I think as a player, you get defensive sometimes because 
you know what they're trying to ask, but nobody's just kind of coming right out and asking it. So what are all these people going to go write about me? I thought you took a better angle uh, to make a football analogy. You take a better angle on the play by saying, hey, you gave up this touchdown. What happened on that play? Explain to us. And then he and the way he explained it isn't like, oh, you guys are wrong or I got screwed. It was like, no, here's how I could have done it better. I thought that was that was a really smart way to ask that question. I think watching Sean Wade this year is what makes what Kerry Combs said back when he first got here so important when he said, this is why you start him on the outside. You start Regardless of where they end up in a defense, you start everybody on the outside so that they all have that same you know, technique and they all learn that. So when if they ever do get in a position like Sean Wade is, where he probably came in to play outside corner, but then ended up playing strong safety and then slot corner last year, it's not brand new to him in year four when he's trying to prove that he should be a top 10 pick. Good stuff. It was a good day. It was a good day. Nicholas Petit Frere, Jonathan Cooper, again, is like a really good guy who's playing at a high level. It's fun to talk to guys when they're doing that. Who was the other guy we got today? We've got Cooper, Petit Frere, Garrett Wilson. Garrett, Garrett Wilson. Yeah. Oh, my God. Garrett yeah. Wilson is always great. And that's yeah. another guy who knows he's good. I'll, I'm curious to see how the Garrett Wilson stuff evolves and how it evolves with Ryan Day because it's, I mean, Ryan Day was asked about Garrett Wilson today, like sort of like a how good can he get question. He was like, Garrett can be as good as he wants to be kind of thing. And he detailed all the ways that he's great. But mm-hmm. I, I wonder if it'll go down the road a little bit of, of I, again, I've talked about this many times, how Urban was with Dwayne Haskins, where Urban didn't really want to say that much nice stuff about Dwayne Haskins. And it's like, and it's not that there's anything wrong with Garrett, but I wonder if Ryan at some point, it's like, I'm going to keep dangling the carrot because Garrett's going to chase it. And if it's like, yeah, you're good, but why aren't you the best receiver in Ohio state history? I think Garrett Wilson's going to go chase that. And maybe I'm not saying, you know, I mean, that's a high bar, but I think Garrett, I think is a very high achiever who probably wants and needs to be pushed. And I'll, I'm curious to watch Ryan day do that the rest of this year. And then again in 2021, I think it'll be like that next year. Because um, last year he was like that a little bit too when Garrett started showing out in some of these games and he, he would get asked about it. He'd say, oh, it's early, you know, just kind of and kind of temper it a little bit. And I think Ari, Ari asked him after the, the, after the Maryland game, he, he asked him, when is it okay to get carried away with Garrett? And he said, not right. He basically went, not right now. Uh, we'll worry about that later. And so in this year is maybe when he allows it to get a little carried away because it's kind of Garrett's moment to explode and introduce himself on a national scale for real. And then next year when Garrett is in a position where he might be the first wide receiver taken in the 2022 NFL draft, he maybe eases it back a little bit and is a little less careful with what he says publicly about Garrett. Yeah, because the urgency kicks in in January because you only got one more year with him at that point. Yeah. I'm going to keep talking later about Garrett, though. So I'll do it for Ryan Day. Yeah, no. And I'm not saying there's anything. I mean, Garrett's got it. Garrett's but, – oh, yeah. but I'm just fascinated by sometimes by these guys who are super elite – they know it. They want to be even better than elite. And the sort of the, the dance that everybody, the mental dance of like the push and pull of how you bring out the best of a guy who's, who's at a 95 right now, but you want to get him to 105. So how do you do it? And I think he's sometimes like that's Justin. fun to watch. That's how he's like with Justin right now, actually. Bring up yeah, I think example. he is. I think last year he wasn't that much as way as way with Justin because Justin was new and it was like, hey, we mm-hmm. want to make sure he has confidence He's, he's new to the guys. We want to make sure, hey, he's a leader, whatever. And now Justin is completely, completely settled in. And so now you want even more from him. All right. We'll come back on the big Thursday pod. We'll have a lot to talk about. 
We'll have the Zoom call Thursday night. We appreciate all you guys listening. Anybody who's trying the text, we certainly appreciate that. Those numbers continue to go up. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash OSU. But for now, for Nathan and Steven, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk.